I think now I would be smarter at knowing the people to go to and also I'd be less prickly if they if they contradicted something that was in the vision and said, oh, I can't see that working, I'd be like, well, don't worry about that bit. Let me worry about that bit. Yeah. I'm here to ask you to do this. So I'd be much much more focused on what I'm asking for and who, who I'm asking. And that's what the Good Business Club is about. I am very excited to share this conversation with you today. I sat down and had a chat with my good friend, Ruth Ounslow. If you don't know Ruth, she started Hisby Food with her sister down here in Brighton and Hove. And I've known her pretty much all of her entrepreneurial journey. What I love about this conversation is that Ruth was very courageous and very vulnerable and very open about some of the mistakes and failures that she's made on her journey. And it was such an open and honest conversation. And I think I know you'll get a lot from this conversation, not only to understand the challenges that we face as business owners and entrepreneurs, but most importantly, what we can learn from it, what Ruth had learned from it and what she's doing differently now to be able to enable her to deal with failure and to deal with not achieving the goals that we all set out on because it happens to us all. So I'm very excited to share this conversation with you. I really, really enjoyed spending time with Ruth. So sit back, relax and enjoy. So I am here with my good friend, Ruth. Lovely to see you, Ruth. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for having me here. And thank you so much for joining me today. So we have been, we've known each other for 12 years, around 12 years now. We've been on our entrepreneurial journey, so I know you very well. But I'd love uh, for you to tell uh, my listeners who Ruth Hounslow is. What do you do, Ruth? Okay, so what do I do? I'm um, I'm really interested in the idea of transforming business for good. So, you know, the idea that business can be a force for positive change and to do good things in the world as well as to make money. Um, and I've been on that path for the last 12 years. Um, and it led me to co-founding um, a business with my sister, a social enterprise supermarket chain called Hisby. And then more recently, co-founding um, the Good Business Club with my friend Sarah Osterholzer. Um, and that's a network to support people on this journey, helping each other to collaborate and and drive purpose-led businesses. Fabulous. So you took... So prior to you starting your own business, you were working in the corporate world. And I'd love to understand a little bit about what made you what tell me how you made the leap from corporate into running your own business yeah um so this was there was a pivotable pivotable pivotal <laughs> pivotable <laughs> moment for me <laughs> um I sound like I'm on Strictly um there was a pivotal moment for me um in 2008, 2009, I'd basically had been in corporate jobs for nearly 14 years. I'd gone into that world from uni and worked at Unilever and um, Sarah Lee and most recently Procter & Gamble. Um, and I just realised I was on the wrong path and it wasn't making me happy. And at a moment of realisation on a balcony in Barcelona with a glass of carver in my hand nice. and just realised I wasn't happy and I had to look mm. at that because you either look at it or you ignore it, right? So I had to look at that and go, 
what's not working here? Because I've kind of got what I set out to do. I've achieved it. So why am I not happy? Mm. Um, And that was the beginning, really, that moment of realisation and other moments that fell into place and followed it changed my whole perspective. Um, I kind of just realised that something was missing, really, and what was missing was a sense of meaning. Mm. I wasn't getting a sense of meaning for work. You know, I was I was just basically, I was, I was working in big consumer FMCG brands. I was a big deal in air fresheners at the time. <laughs> yes, I mean, come on, exclusive. <laughs> I, know, I know, just ask anyone, you know, big deal in air fresheners. And, um, yeah, I just realised I was pretty much um, a slave to PowerPoint, Word, Outlook and the quarterly gross profit results Mm. and it just wasn't what I set out to do and the more senior I got the more it became removed from the bits I loved and focused on just making money and um yeah that wasn't motivating enough for me to stay in it so yeah I set about making some changes that would lead to a new life wow and how did how did that when you say make changes because I think in my experience, from listening to successful entrepreneurs like yourself that have created an amazing brand, and if you haven't checked out his B, make sure you do because it is an amazing uh, a brand business that you've created. Um, in my experience, when you sometimes look at the story and the journey of an entrepreneur, they go, I was here, and then suddenly I was there, and there's this gap, like... I think I was reading someone, I can't remember who it was, like uh, an entrepreneur that was incredibly successful, and it made it sound like they were like, yeah, I was in this really bad job, and then I created this business, and I was, uh, you know, turning over millions, and it's like there's this huge gap. So what was it? I'd be interested to understand, like, how did you make, when you say you made changes, what was it? Like, if you can talk through... Um, I'm sure there's a lot there, but give us an mm. overview of how that happened. What yeah, the transition? Yeah, so um, after that moment of realising I wasn't happy, and I was on the career path that I couldn't stay where I was for another 25 whatever years. Um, I um, the first thing I kind of did was make space to think because there is no change and transformation without having space to think. Mm. So I um, spent a lot of time thinking about the alternative life I could have. I got very inspired by um, businesses and brands that were built in a different way, that were built to do something. Like, you know, it was so inspired by the body shop and Anita Roddick and Anita and Gordon's journey. And I thought, well, you know, if, if they can, you know, if they can make a living and make a contribution to the world through something they love, perhaps I can too. And um, using the bits of the job that I loved... And building something new was very appealing. But yeah, it was um, it was several years. So between having that moment and um, moving to Brighton and setting up the business and starting on working on it with Amy and opening our first shop was a good three years. Mm. So, you know, there was a lot during that time, a lot of thinking about what I really wanted in life, a lot of talking with my sister, because you have to say it out loud and get it out and talk about it with people who get it. Mm. And she was having the same sort of um, crisis of crisis. It's not a crisis, it's a but it feels quite um, 
you know, it feels quite dramatic, just this realisation that you're not doing what you want to do. And she was having a similar experience. She'd done very different things. She'd worked um, in public service. She'd worked for the fire service and the police and groundwork, which is an environmental agency. So very different jobs, but the same feeling that it's just not what she was supposed to be doing and that there was... Um, it was taking more from her than it gave her. Yeah. So, yeah, we had some really good conversations about what we wanted to do and we both had this idea that we wanted to make a difference in the world and do something good with our time here. Hmm. Um, And that led us to thinking about what do we care about that we want to change. Yeah, amazing. And so, yeah, it was a series of conversations, a series of thoughts, a series of... But it all started with that moment of awareness Hmm. and then creating space to think around that yeah. And talking about it with someone who could get it and was on the same wavelength. All those are important things. Mm. And so when, you know, people come to me through the Good Business Club or other mentoring I do, and they say, I'm just in this job and I hate it. The first thing I, I say is get space to think, because mm. without that space, you can't create. And sometimes creating that space and living in it is a process of several years before you have figured out what's mm. next. And that's fine. That's all part of it. That's really interesting because I don't know, I haven't met many people like you and Amy that have spent that long planning a business. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because I've not met that many people who've, who've started businesses that way. I'm sure there's lots of people out there who are, but I didn't start a business like that at all. I, I did it out of necessity and I speak to people who do it out of necessity or they've had enough and they quit their job and they just go and start a business. And I think it's, it's it, no, think it is. It's very inspirational to see your, the the patience that you had with planning. You know, I know you did a lot of work creating an, an audience or a following around your concept. And, mm. I, and, and, I, and I think you are a, a shining example of, uh, of how to, because you, you'd never, although you'd worked in, food to well effort you did work in that sort of space mm-hmm. to a certain extent you'd never created this you've never worked in that industry as running a supermarket right so it's a bold move and you had to, i guess you had to plan you had to um you know build a following get the money because i you know mm-hmm. I'm sure it took money to invest and that's an incredibly courageous and bold move that you you took and I just wanted to tell you that. Mm. Um, uh, so thinking about, so the, 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 the point of this podcast, and my, one of my main things that I want to focus on is normalising the conversation around failure and mistakes, which I know some people get quite triggered with those particular words. But what, looking at that transition, you know, for me, as I just said, like your the way that you did it, I think is is inspirational. Is there anything looking back at that period because you took three years um, that you would think oh, I'd do that differently or I wouldn't do it that way? Yes, and the main thing is that I would reach out and get more help and support. Mm. And yeah, it took us three years. It took us three years to write the business plan, build a sort of rallying cry, do the social media, set up a blog, build the tools that we needed to have a convincing plan for a new type of supermarket because we didn't know how to do a supermarket. We just knew it had to be done. It was kind of 
how I've always felt about it. But to do it from scratch and write everything from the sourcing policies to um, the the brand and what it should look like and what it should feel like and, and then finding the premises, which was what took the longest time. It was in the middle of a recession. Finding the right location, the right premises was everything. And then persuading people to give you 220 grand to start the shop. All of that was... We did it all um, from scratch. And just by the nature of what we're like, we're very kind of self-sufficient, independent people. We did it we've, We did it most of it on our own. Mm. I mean, we had supportive friends around us. We had a lot of friends who didn't get it, but we had some supportive friends around us. And um, we reached out to some people early on who knocked us back and said it wasn't a good idea or that it couldn't work or we couldn't do it. And that made us more insular. So actually the reason I founded the Good Business Club now with my friend Sarah Osterholzer is to help people in that situation, to see, to connect people who are doing purpose-led businesses with each other and have them collaborate and work together. Because the number one lesson I learned was we we should have asked for more help and shared the burden and shared the pain and shared the burnout and shared all that hard bit at the beginning mm-hmm. with other people because there are other people out there trying to do things like this. We just didn't know them. Yeah. Mm. No, I, 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 what you're doing at the Good Business Club is amazing. I, that's something that for myself I've, you know, I wish I had early on mm. and I, I was exactly the same, didn't want to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, maybe pride, a feeling like I wanted to try and achieve it by myself, mm-hmm. like I wanted to prove myself. I don't know if that was true for well, you. Well, for us, it was more that we just were very resourceful, independent people that didn't know how to ask for help. Mm. And that's just how we'd grown up and how we were with each other. And we were like, we can, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out somehow. Uh, but we were very aware of the bits we were weaker at. You know, we didn't think, oh, we can do everything. But we just thought if we worked hard enough and battled through it, we'd get there. Mm. So, you know, we we did get help from some key people, but we could have done so much more of that. We could have made much more of mentors. We could have reached out for problems that we had more instead of battling through fixing mm. it ourselves. Um, so, yeah, that was... Uh, that was a really necessary part of the journey, but not an easy one, but really necessary because it's made me see the value of doing it differently. Mm, yeah. And in terms of when you made that transition, so, I mean, it was over three years, so it's what I would personally say is a relatively long time, mm. but it may not have felt like that for you. But when you got to that point where you're like, effectively pushing the button and making that change did you transition out of your old job slowly did you just decide i'm going to quit to this date how did you plan that well um interestingly shortly after i started thinking about all this in my old job it was announced that our brand was being bought by another company and that there would be redundancies. So the company that bought our brand made it very clear that they promote from within, that people weren't going to get jobs unless they took junior roles. And that was a big sort of signal to me of, yeah, that this is the right time to leave. I was living in Barcelona. I was ready to come back. And um, I was completely ready for a new change. So in a way, I had a natural exit out of my job. Mm. And the minute I decided I was doing something out, else I fell out of love with it anyway you know the bits that I did that kept me there no longer were enough but um yeah so um 
I also got some redundancy money, which was very useful, kept me and Amy going. Um, but then over three years, obviously, we ran out of money. And every time that happened, I would go out and get consulting work with other big brands because I had that skill set and they recognised the brands on my CV. So we would we would work um, and then there'd be a period where I was um, travelling and commuting into London or Brentford or something to do part-time contracts with other people. So, yeah, like every other kind of... Uh, many other startup entrepreneurs, there was this overlap between my old job and my new job or my old world and my corporate world, mm. which I'd have to step into now and then to make the dollar to be able to fund what I really wanted to do, which yeah. was weird because it was two different me's yeah. coexisting. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I can relate to that as well. You know, for me, when, when I was doing the bakery and the food manufacturing business mm. and having to step back in between, you know, I was commuting up to Bracknell four days a week to work in Waitrose head office and then coming back to the bakery at the weekends and making cakes and driving vans up to Heathrow and all this random stuff. So it's yeah. that, I guess nowadays they call it the hustle, yeah. um, you know, to coin a, what I believe is a bit of a wanky phrase personally. But, you know, I think I said in a podcast the other day, like it's, we, they, they call that hustle. I just called it working hard back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what we did. We 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 always we was we were so sure that however hard it was, it was going to happen. Uh, it was a matter of sticking at it and was it and just being resilient and persistent. And that's what happened. I yeah. think I truly believe that if you stick at something for long enough and you give it the resilience and you put the hard work in, it happens. Yeah. Um, but it all most of us it ta- it's more difficult and takes longer than we think. Always. Always. I completely agree. Yeah. I think your sister, Amy, says that a, a lot. Yeah. It always takes twice as long and costs twice as much. And it's very, very true. Um, so thinking about that period, what fears did you have? I'd like to understand what fears you had around starting your own business. And, yeah, did they come true? Um, I had lots of fears and most of them partly came true. Right. Um, so, yeah, at first, you know, Amy and I had this boundless optimism and drive. You know, we'd done our homework. We could see that, you know, Hisby pulls together a lot of trends, local food, fair trade, packaging free, low plastic, zero waste, um, local farmers, paying people fairly. And we could see that they were all trends at the time and they would inevitably grow. The world business has to shift. And that was obvious to us, like 10 years ago even um and so you know we started with this boundless optimism and with some money in the bank and um to take care of us while we didn't pay ourselves from anything else um but over three years that that wanes you know in and out up and down and your enthusiasm and love for it does wane and so I had moments of fear during that time where I was like is this going to happen um, yes, it is, you know, uh, and that sort of wavering confidence, I suppose. So, yeah, moments of, of confidence in ourselves and our ability to do it. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that kind of fear creeps in when optimism wanes, you know. Mm. What was the, sorry to interrupt, but what was the, what was the fear? Like what, 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 what specifically was the fear that you had? Well, there were different fears. There's the fears that we weren't being taken seriously, fears that we couldn't raise an enormous amount of money with no trading record, you know, the fear that we didn't know all the pieces and we wouldn't be able to put it all together. You know, you have to when you go for a premises, you have to persuade a landlord 
to let let you move in mm. and you sign a 15-year contract and you better come up with the money every month and, you know, you have to persuade people to um, invest in you and it's all very much... It feels very personal. So I mm. suppose the fears were about us being able to pull this off, you know? Um, it was very audacious. Um, and Amy and I are, are real visionaries. Like, we don't have a problem imagining the world being a different way to how it is now. That's so natural to us to go well things are only the way they are because people made them that way so you can make them something else it's just very obvious to us we don't have a problem living in that space of figuring out uh, the vision and what it should look like and the purpose and the brand and but what where we're not skilled is the architecture building the how mm. so you know that takes a lot of time and intensity for us to figure out the nitty-gritty and the hows. So um, there was a fear around, are we the right people? Are we going to be able to do this? Mm. And uh, when, you know, there was a big gap in our skill set. And when Jack, Jack Simmons is the third co-founder, if you like, he's um, he joined us in 2013, three years in, but was instrumental in helping us get that first shop open because yeah. he is like that. He's an architect, he's a builder. He, he, he not literally an architect, a builder, <laughs> I mean, a, a builder of, you know, practical stuff and he built the supply chain and he did a lot of practical implementation of our vision Mm. and so both are so key so yeah there was a lot of fear around not having those skills and that ability Mm. but when the right person came along it all all slotted into place yeah I just was thinking actually I don't know if you your thoughts on this but you said I asked you if you could go back to that beginning point and do things differently, you'd ask for more help. Mm-hmm. But do you think if you asked for more help, you might have got told you can't do it more? Because I'm just thinking that optimism that we have when we start out, it's actually really important. Mm-hmm. Because if everyone around you is telling you it can't happen, unless you are like rocks, you know, rock steady and really like no determined, which I think probably I know you and your sister are, and I know myself to be that as well. I just thought, hmm, maybe like would that do you think that would have put you off? Yeah, and we did get that. We did get people saying it can't be done. Mm. If it could be done, Tesco would be doing it. Like really stupid stuff like that. Of course, Mm. Tesco wouldn't be doing it. It's against (laughs) everything they stand for. Um, And, you know, giving us... Everyone's got an opinion and people love to give you an opinion even even when they haven't thought about things anywhere near as, as much as you have. But what, you know, we were asking the wrong people. We were, you know, we were... We, what we needed was to be very clear about the gaps, about being the how we build this and not going to people who was questioning the vision. So yeah. we wouldn't allow anyone to question the vision and the purpose because that was we knew exactly what that was. Um, and what we found was when we'd sit in meetings with people who we, we wanted to help build the practical things, they would go to that bit because they couldn't follow it. They couldn't believe that something between Tesco and a posh vegan shop could exist. You know, they're like, well, that can't be done. Mm. And you're like, well, it, of course it can be done. Mm. You know, here's a list of supply. Here's a list of people around us who will supply us. And, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. there's plenty of people who work for the higher living wage. And all we need is this many customers through the door. And look, the data around London Road shows that you only need 2% of people to walk in your door and you've got a business. Mm. Like We had done all that work, but um, people would get stuck on the first bit and start challenging that. And it was exhausting having, you know, plastic free. This was a big, this was a big one. We, um, I think we were the first people in Brighton to sell stuff 
plastic packaging free. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for us, it very much speaks to our um, need to kind of not waste food and not waste packaging. Um, But when we tried to build it, so many people said, that's not a good idea. It's unhygienic. People won't use it. You know, there's no way people are going to weigh their own stuff. It's asking too much for people. They don't want it. You know, do you really think people are going to bring in their own containers? And, you know, now it's normal in a lot of little shops. And to us, it was just so obvious that, of course, certain people would. Mm. But, you know, you'd sit down with someone trying to talk about, I don't know, building a supply chain and they'd get stuck on that start questioning bits of the vision and that we were very comfortable with. Yeah. And so it's it's difficult. I think now I would be smarter at knowing the people to go to mm. and also I'd be less prickly if they if they contradicted something that was in the vision and said, oh, I can't see that working. I'd be like, well, don't worry about that bit. Let me worry about that bit. Yeah. I'm here to ask you to do this. So I'd be much much more focused on what I'm asking for and who I'm asking. And that's what the Good Business Club is about. It's Mm. about, you know, the meetings, whether they're online or in person, a lot of it's about you have an ask and you have an offer. Yeah. Yeah, And you give your art, you say, this is what I need. This is how I need to upskill myself. This is the type of help I need right now. And this is what I can offer you. And it's an exchange of those things. Mm. It's not, here's my idea, Pick pick it all apart. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm much smarter now about knowing how I would build the how. Yeah, and and uh, just to go back to what you said about you know the things like that's always going to be the way, isn't it? If you look at two examples, Uber and Airbnb, if someone had said 20 years ago, I'm going to create a platform that allows someone to rent out their home to a complete stranger. Mm. I know that they have got so many people going, that can't be done. Like, don't be so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's exactly the same in what I believe what you've created here. You believe you're a visionary. You and your sister are a visionary. And that's what I believe is one of the most important skills in an entrepreneur is the ability to see a possibility Mm -hmm. and to go, it's possible. I know. I don't know how I'm going to get there, mm-hmm. but I know that we can. Yeah. And that might be construed as arrogance, um, or whatever you want to call it. But yeah. that's so important. Yeah. I believe in 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 being an entrepreneur. Do you do you agree or? Disagree? Yeah, I do. I do agree. It's absolutely key. Um, and um, it's got to be accepted that if you're like that. You're not pie in the sky, fluffy dreamer. You know, people call you mad. They call you, you know, they use all sorts of language around it. Or they call you naive. That's that's a word that always makes me laugh because if someone calls me naive, what I, I can see that they just don't see what I can see. So mm. they're calling me naive because in their frame of reference, there's nothing else except their frame of reference. They can't see anything outside it. Yeah. So people would say, oh, it's naive to think you can open a shop opposite co-op and down the road from um, Aldi and bring customers in. Yeah. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me because customers are there, you just need to nick a few of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're walking on, along that road. So yeah. you know, people, they, their frame of reference is so set that they think anything outside that is yeah. naive. And it always makes me smile when I hear that word. <laughs> it's um, the other, yeah, and I, I think the other thing which I, which I was thinking about was um, if that, if the people... You know, that good old phrase, 
our uh, opinions are like arseholes. <laughs> Everyone's got one. Um, and that's something that we have to face as people who are, like yourself, disrupting industries and, mm. and changing the way people think. And yeah. people can be very stuck in their ways, as we know. Um, and, you know, for me, what came up for what you just shared was that those people, they're not willing to take the risk because... That, yeah, they can't see your vision, they can't see, mm -hmm. but they're the people that aren't going to take those risks and go and do that. Yeah, that's it. They can't imagine doing it themselves, so they can't imagine that it can be done, Yeah, which is absurd. Yeah. Like, I can't build a wall, but I've no, there's no doubt in my mind someone else can build a wall. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, and, and I've got to say, you know, for every doubter <clears throat> and detractor, there was also someone who did love the idea and could see it. Mm. So, you know, when we did our, we, you know, started our funding pot with a crowdfunding campaign and we sold money off vouchers for a store that didn't exist yet. Yeah. That, you know, hundreds of people bought those vouchers mm. and um, we raised 30 grand that way. So there were plenty of people who went, Do you know what, I, I believe that can work. And I believe it can work on London Road and, you know, this is the right city for it and I would shop there. I'll buy some vouchers for a shop that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. So, you know, there are, you've just got to not knock on closed doors and not get too attached to the fact that this person that you admire, that you admire, you think, you know, they, they know they'll get it yeah. and when they don't get it or they don't like it, don't take it personally. Mm. doesn't matter. Just mm. move on. Well, mm. Rather than feeling taking it personally and shutting yourself away and not talking to the next person. Yeah. Now, that happened to us quite a lot. Yeah, I can imagine. And bringing it back to the, this conversation, back to the kind of purpose of this podcast and these conversations is around failure, you know, normalising mm -hmm. conversations around failure because you, you took some big risks to go and borrow that level of money, go and sign a lease mm -hmm. for 15 years. Yeah. That's a big risk, yeah. and failure. You know, you haven't you you you've succeeded in that accomplishment, but there's always this big risk of failure, and and that's why why I want to have these conversations is to normalise around the potential for failure and what are your fears and all that sort of stuff. Because I know that there's lots of people out there that want to start their own business or want to work for themselves, but don't do that because mm -hmm. they they're, they're fear of failing. But I'd like to actually have a conversation around some of the failures that mm. you've. You've made, I guess, my first question, which isn't on my, we haven't discussed. So, I, what, what, what is, what is failure to you? When I ask that question, what is failure to you? Failure is just something that didn't go as you wanted it to. Cool. So, failure is a verb. It's not a thing. It's not a thing. It's Ooh. a part of life. And I'm right now. I'm failing at this, and I'm making this work, and I'm not making that work. So, mm. at the moment. You know, I'm failing to go running. Like, it, to me, I don't have an acute sense of, oh, my God, I can't fail, because to me it's just something that doesn't... It does not going how you wanted it yeah. to. So, you know, we raised £220,000 when we started, but we failed to, to raise a lot more with other avenues that we explored that just didn't happen. Right. And when we opened our second store in Worthing uh, last year, that followed the failure to open the second store in 2016. Because mm. we pursued a premises that after months of messing around with the landlord, he finally he gave it to Starbucks. Yeah. And it, it, it was a big blow to us financially. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we failed to make that store happen. But I don't have a sense of 
anything emotional when I talk about failure. It's just a failure. Mm. So I don't know. I, I think I'd, I see failure a bit differently to other people because it's just something that didn't quite go right. Yeah. That's really interesting because... I think for me, from the conversations I've had so far, what I've identified is is that meaning and that emotion that you attach to Mm. the failure. If you look up the dictionary definition of failure, it's lack of success. Yeah. That is all it is. Yeah. And success is achieving an aim or a purpose. Yeah. So when you break it down to, like, what the words mean, the dictionary definition, it's very, as you exactly as you say, it's very straightforward. But, But don't get me wrong, I haven't always felt this way. So, you know, making it sound like I've always felt this way. No, no, I had an intense sense of failure when we lost that second sight. Can we, can we, do you mind if we just explore that in a bit yeah, more detail? Yeah, sure, sure. But, because, but, but, but that, I've on. learned to see that for what it is. Mm. Mm. So let's explore that if we can. So talk, tell me what happened. Like, yeah. yeah. So we, um, we got the first store up and running. It had been open for nearly two years. It was breaking even and... It was stable and we'd proven that it works and we were, you know, figuring out how to run the thing. Um, And then we decided we wanted to go and raise more money and open a second shop. We looked around and there was a fantastic site on St James's Street in Kemp Town. Um, And we um, had an early indication from the landlord that we were going to get this site. And off the back of that, we raised money. Right. And we re- we thought it was going to happen. You know, we were all in. We're like, this is what we're going to do with the money. This is how we're going to do it. We started planning and doing all the things we'd done with the first shop. And um, over a period of nine months, things had gone quiet and then the site fell through. And in the meantime, we'd raised money and we'd, we had to go back to all our lenders and the people who we'd raised money from and say, this has fallen through. One, please, can we keep the money? And we'll use it for the next store or we'll use it for this specific thing. And everybody wanted us to keep the money uh, because they believed in what we were doing and they could see what had happened. Um, And that was, at the time, for me, it was a massive blow because I I had this sense that people would point at Hisby and go, they haven't managed to challenge the supermarkets, therefore it can't be done. I always had this this feeling that that it's not so much about personal failure, it's the sense that we've let the movement down. We've let down the idea that there can be an alternative to Tesco. We've let down the idea that you can challenge the big food, that it's failed. So the failure for me was this fear that we'd let down the purpose, you know, we'd let yeah. down the vision. Yeah, yeah. And I was responsible for that and I should have done something different or better Mm. or worked harder or, you know, made different choices. Yeah, and what you just said, worked harder, I've just spotted something is for myself, and I'm not sure if this is true for you, is this sense that if I work, if I push myself and I work hard and I spend all the hours and I give it my all, then if it fails, at least I've tried and and I don't know if if you've ever had that. I certainly have. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to running a business, isn't there? Because you run, you know, one minute you're in the business, you know, in our case, working shifts on the shop floor. The next minute you're on the business doing doing the accounting or the books or thinking about strategy. You, it's very difficult to do both at the same time. <clears throat> but you're const- I'm constantly thinking, where do I put my time today? Yeah. So I've got 50 things in this business that need to happen. 
uh, strategically and 50 things that need to happen on the shop floor, which which of those 100 things do I try and tackle right now? Mm. And that's the hardest thing for me. And so my sense of... I could have made different choices comes from what if I'd what if I'd just done that thing instead of this thing? Yeah. Would we be in a different position if I'd gone out and raised that money sooner? Would we be in a different position if we'd pursued another premises, you know, if we'd made a different choice? And so um that's the bit that I've always struggled with the most, the sense of it's down to us. It's down it was down to me, Amy and Jack at the time to figure out of the hundred things what are the three things we're gonna do today. Yeah. No one else can tell you that. No. And um, if you pick the wrong things, it could all go wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I still have that sense of, yeah. you know, just juggling. There's so much to do. You know, we, we've come through COVID. It's been very, very difficult. Um, we've got a very operational business on one hand and we've got um, a responsibility to grow and expand and drive the strategy on the other hand and fulfil the vision. Mm. And, you know, always being pulled in both directions is very, very hard. Yeah. Because uh, the customers and the staff just see the shop. They don't see that the shop is the tip of a massive iceberg underneath that we're, we're handling. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that. And I, and that's the problem, isn't it? It's That's probably why most of my friends are fellow entrepreneurs and business owners, because they get it. Yeah. And I can... Exactly that. Your staff and your customers... They don't get it, and probably they don't care. To yeah, be honest, yeah, they don't need to. They don't... Why? Why should they? Like, yeah, exactly. You know, so... so we don't go into Sainsbury's and go, "Oh, look at that manager working very hard." Poor him. It's like, no, give me my food. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like... exactly. You know, you're there to, you know, you're there to provide a, a great job, and you know, for the staff and mm. to you know support them and have them create a great atmosphere for customers, and then the customers are there to enjoy the experience that we're making, and everyone gets to, you know, shop in a different way and. We make sustainable shopping easy and we do, that's it. You know, yeah. that's that's perfect. Um, and there's, you know, the founder and the founder and the business owner and manager's job is just sh- straddles all of that, you know, and where you put your time and effort changes over time because you can't be, you know, at the beginning, me, Jack and Amy were on the shop floor all the time and I was out the back counting the change in the tills every day and you know you can't and I was manually inputting all the invoices into our invoice system which just was just a heartbreaking <laughs> job but important at the time mm. so you know but you can't keep doing that forever you can't work in the business in the shops and on the business it's just yeah. not feasible yeah and you know, I, I from <laughs> what I know of you I believe you've done a really great job in stepping back and and mm-hmm. doing that like I can't think of anyone else that I know that that's done it as effectively and it's like no I'm I'm not doing this anymore mm-hmm. and it's very inspirational because I know it's one of the hardest things for business owners to do is step out and yeah. let and let it well, go Well I mean part of our vision is to make autonomous supermarkets because part of the problem with supermarkets is they're all centrally run and owned and managed that the the store managers don't have much autonomy and we're trying to do the opposite of that model. So it's no good then holding on to all the operations as the founders. You've got to find great store managers and make them autonomous and give them the tools and the responsibility and the accountability over their team and make the decisions for that shop. Or we're not going to create a model that lives independently of us. So, yeah. you know, if I was in there every time someone had a question or couldn't figure something out, it would just it wouldn't be the right thing for me and it would be completely the wrong thing for the vision. Yeah. Because I'm trying to create strong, autonomous, empowered store teams. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I wanted to go back actually just to the the second store 
when you when you said you had to go and have these difficult conversations. Yeah. Which I can imagine was very challenging yeah. for you, was it? How what was that like? It felt like it was embarrassing. Okay. It was embarrassing that we had raised money and raised hope and that it had fallen through. Um but we didn't, you know, we did we don't didn't know the commercial property market like mm. we know it now mm. and we wouldn't do it that way we did when we did worthing we did not do it that way we did it completely differently so we learned from it but we tried to do the second shop then the first the, the the same way we'd done the first shop which was a lot of um thinking on your feet a lot of hustling you know kind of hustling to make yeah. it work and making it up as we go along and now in retrospect i'd we did the second shot very differently for a reason. Mm. But anyway, that was part of the learning. But, yeah, it was embarrassing for me. It was embarrassing that I felt bad that I'd let people down. I felt like I'd let the vision and the purpose down um, and, you know, tried to think about all the decisions that had got us there and what if we decided something else. Um, but, yeah, but, but what was great, well, this is the thing, because we were working with individuals... Um, and social investors who cared about our vision and our purpose, they, uh, with, without exception, all said to us, we get it, we're sorry this has happened, we get that there's going to be a rough road ahead now as you shrink your business back and you cope with the fact that you've lost this store and you've we've kind of overspent to make it work. And yes, keep the money and yes, keep the terms. And, you know, without exception, because... We'd chosen our investors carefully. Yeah. And that has been a massive theme for us, you know, just kind of be be where, be careful of who you take money from. And um and then when things are going wrong, because they will go wrong at some point, tell them and have upfront conversations with them. Yeah. Um, because they will see you through it, you know, if you choose these people wisely. So mm. yeah, it was it was embarrassing and it felt it felt, yeah, it felt personal. Um, but over time, I've learned to see that for what it is and sort of take it out of the equation. It's a, it's really listening to you share going through that process. It really does say a lot about dealing with failure, in my mm. opinion, because taking the emotion out of it as much as possible. Also surrounding yourself with people whether that's investors or family or friends yeah. or a community of people that get it yeah because you, what you said earlier in the conversation i think i can't remember what it was about but it's about ref people reflecting back their own fears or insecurities when they're having conversations about you can't do this yeah. just to share from as my own personal experience when i took that choice to close my business last year, I got very different responses based on who I told. Everyone who was a business owner congratulated me or said, good for you, because they knew how difficult it was for me to make that decision. Yeah. Uh, some of my friends who are in full-time employment and have never worked themselves went, what are you going to do? Yeah. Like fear. Yeah, fear, they exactly. were, they were They were fearful. <laughs> so I think for what I'm hearing in this conversation, which is probably the most important lesson I'm getting from this around dealing with failure is surrounding yourself with people that get it or at least having those going to those people that have been there because if if I was you back however many years ago what would you say 
to yourself if you had an opportunity to speak to you right at that moment where it all failed? Oh, God, that's a good question. I would say... Well, my own head at the time said to me, it will come right. I don't know how, but this is supposed to be out there and it will come right. It's going to be a hard... It might be a hard couple of years, and it was, um, but it will come right. And so I suppose that's what I said to myself and that's what I would say to myself now. Yeah. Just keeping... You know, you check back in with the vision. Am I still in love with this vision? Do I still want this to happen? Am I still okay? And mm. the, the answer to that was, yes, I'm still in this. I'm still in it. It's gone wrong. We've had a failure. Um, and um, I'm still in. And so mm. we, we checked in with each other, us founders, and we're like, yeah, we're still in. We've got to now. We had to go back onto the shop floor mm. and work shifts wow. again. Yeah. And tighten our belts. And, you know, the other problem we'd had is because we'd drifted away from the first store to work on the second, things were starting to drift in the first store that we didn't mm. like. Mm. We had to get back in there and correct that. And that was hard, mm. you know, because that's that was another lesson. You know, you say about being hands-off and, you know, letting um, the right managers run the store and so on. We've got it wrong. We've got several things wrong there over the years where we didn't build that solid foundation before we moved away to expand and then that that again you know speaks to this issue we all have about making the business that you've got solid and um strong and stable and pulling away sometimes to work on the future of it and the growth and mm. the vision so yeah it was um yeah it was it was a difficult time but it taught us everything we needed to know to open a second shop successfully <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, no, I can really hear that. And I saw, I was there, I remember coming to visit the store in Worthing when you were just about to open. Yeah. And I I don't recall very much, uh, very well, because I'm getting old now and my memory's not as good. But I remember br vaguely when you opened the store in Brighton, like what, however many years ago that was, and how stressed out and yeah. how challenging it was, which yeah. is to be expected. And then seeing Ruth in Worthing, yeah. and you were so chill. It was joy. It was brilliant. And it was because we just learned what to do the second time round. And it was about getting the right people in the right jobs and not doing it all ourselves. Um, and... Um, we knew what we were doing, you know, we'd run the shop. When we first opened Brighton, it was a bit of a pickle and it was quite chaotic for the first six months because we had basically made it up. Yeah. Um, we'd had, yes, we'd had some some pointers and help from people, but, you know, we didn't really know how to lay out a shop for best effect. We didn't know where to put different fixtures. We didn't know. But when the time we opened the second one, we knew all that. And we had a um, an area manager in place and we had, we knew how to recruit better mm. and you know to get the right people and we knew um how to manage the stock by then and what you know we had a, a range that worked so everything was smoother that time round. yeah and you had to learn you know all I can hear in what you shared is is uh, an intention uh, an aim a goal yeah success or failure yeah pick yourself back up yeah carry on yeah like I know that you'll be able to deal with failure in a way that is more powerful and less emotional and mm -hmm. more 
straightforward now than you were five years ago. I think that's yeah. true of most business owners. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, if, if history went under next month, I'd cry for a week. I'd be, you know, I would have an emotional reaction. Come and hang out with me and but I'll I tell would... you what it's like to close a <laughs> but, business. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I would, you know, I would be, I would move past that yeah. quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and um, I would go to the people that care and I would go to the people that get it and I'd go to the people who've supported it all along and figure it out with them mm. instead of burying it and being in a place of fear and fate and personal response to it. Yeah. Putting aside your sense of ego and pride when things don't go the way you planned, I think. do you think that's a really important quality? Yeah. I mean... I'm not that attached to things going perfectly because they don't. Nothing mm. does. Mm. So I'm very good at taking stock of where we're at and moving yeah. towards it again. Yeah. And, you know, nothing's perfect. Nothing, you know, it's like a sales forecast. It's never right. Yeah. It's either too high or too low. Yeah. It's never perfect. It can't no. be. So you live with that fluctuation and understand that that's... The failure to hit the number is what's happened mm. and the response to it is what's important. Yeah. And, you know, as I said a moment ago, you know, we are set up to deal with failure better and deal with problems better, but it's still fucking hard. Yeah, it is. It is because it's personal. It's something you've created right from the beginning and you've nurtured and been through highs and lows of. And when we create a business, it creates us back. You know, it changes us and it makes Mm. us different. And, you know, your identity becomes so engaged and involved with it. Um that it's always going to feel personal to some degree, you know? Yeah. I'm, thank you. I, I've got one more final question for you, but um, I just want to say thank you for your honesty, your bravery, as I see it, your courageousness to come and share what you've shared, because mm. I've certainly got a lot from this conversation, and I know people listening will have. The ability, I've noticed that people want to avoid directly talking into the failures and mistakes they've made. They'll put a little sheen on it to make Mm -hmm. it sound a little bit nicer than it really was. And I didn't hear that in what you shared at all. So thank you very much. Um, I've certainly got a lot from this conversation. And I'm asking everyone that comes on to talk on my podcast to share with me a quote piece of a business advice but something like that that is banded around a lot that you think is total bullshit yeah so um i can't think of a snappy way to say it but it's that (laughs) whole thing of you get up at 4 a.m and you you work till 9 p.m and it's the grind and you've got to put in 16 hour days and the relentlessness working thing it doesn't work it's not sustainable i think it's hustle yeah but it's it's more the hours okay it's that you put work before absolutely everything else all the time you get up at 4 a.m you're on the tennis court and you do this and then you know by eight you've read all your emails and that sort of commitment to spending most of your life doing it Mm. um it's just i mean i i'm you know I'm 12 years in and this is a lifetime commitment for me and I can't, that can't be sustained over the long term. So um, anyone who is still doing that 12 years in um, is going to run into trouble at some point. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that kind of, that kind of rhetoric around 16, 18 hour days, 20 hour days, you know, it's just, 
Yeah. That to me is bullshit. Yeah. It's not, you can't sustain it and it shouldn't be encouraged as the way to do things. No, uh, because, I agree. Yeah, yeah. it's just, bullshit. it's not, yeah, it's just <laughs> bullshit to me anyway. Yeah, and I completely people agree. Are, that, people are mm. not machines. No. The people are not, Some people in this world are machines, you know, maybe Elon Musk is a machine. Um, but that's not to say that we should all try and live like a machine. Yeah doesn't work yeah and it's important for people to understand what it is that they how they want to work how they want their business to work and not get caught up in what everyone else is doing that mm. i think someone's called it entrepreneurial porn or entrepreneurial mm. entrepreneurial porn that idea of look how hard i'm working yeah. like um someone said a phrase once um exhaustion is not a status symbol like this idea that look yeah. how exhausted i am yeah, look yeah, how yeah. hard i'm exactly. working um, and sure, at the beginning, you put everything into it. Yeah. You have to. Um, but, you know, I'm talking about 12 years in. Yeah. You know, at the beginning, you do it because no one else is going to do it for you. But then, you know, someone said to me once, you'll know, Ruth, in five years if you've got a business and you'll know in 10 years if you've got a successful business. Mm. And so are these points where you go, you go five years in, you go, yeah, I've got proof of concept here. People like it and they want to do this. Mm. Um and um, and then after 10 years, you go, can it be replicated and grown? Well, yeah, I think it can be. And so you, you need to be in a different mindset at those points. You're not still in the, I'll do absolutely anything that you throw at me yeah. 16 hours a day. But you are at the beginning, but there's a transition, a deliberate transition. Mm. And you have to take those steps deliberately and see it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to, you're not going to get through it healthily. No. And that's more important than yeah. anything. I agree. I completely agree. Well, thank you very much for joining me today. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, where can, if you choose to be, how can people connect with you? I think the best way for me is LinkedIn. So okay. come and find me on LinkedIn. Um, that's the environment I like to kind of, people who I don't know me so well to approach me. Yeah. So yeah, find me on LinkedIn. It's just Ruth Anslow in Brighton. I'm pretty easy to spot. I'm pretty sure I can put a link to yeah. your profile in the show notes Perfect. so yeah thank you very much Ruth um, I've really enjoyed this conversation thank you Jeremy breath of fresh air thank you thank you so much for listening in today I hope you've enjoyed this conversation this has been how not to run a business with your host me Jeremy Jacobs if you like this conversation and you want to hear more then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and whilst you're there, if you want to leave me a review, I would really appreciate it. If you'd like to connect with me online, you can do so on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook. And my profile name is Jeremy Jacobs UK. Or you can check out my website, which is jeremyjacobs.co.uk. So once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, keep on trying, keep on failing, keep on succeeding.